Welcome to the Atlas Project. It's a new world. To navigate it, we need new maps. Each episode, best-selling author Chris Katana and Scott Jones saw 50,000 feet above the immediate headlines in politics, economics, science, and society. The Atlas Project aims to reveal the big picture of where humanity is headed and the choices we all need to face. Chris, how are you, my friend? Oh, Scott, I'm kind of excited. I don't know why. Must be something in the water. I love a little excitement. It's, it's not like the weather's exciting here. I mean, it's in London. It's just constantly gray this time of year. Not constantly. You have, you, you, you have like gray weather and you're in like full lockdown. You guys are in like severe lockdown. Oh, you know, I guess, you know, I'm sure you talk about data that that doesn't exist, um, but you know is real. I mean... If it existed, the, the data on on mental health in this country right now would probably be pretty grim. Because um, you're right, it, it, it's been full lockdown in, uh, you know, where I am since December. And, you know, if you, you can see my hair, like it's it's been a while. <laughs> Mine is pretty long, too. Mine is pretty long, too. Hair. Um, I'm about to put, I have clippers, so I'm going to just clip my own hair. And, you know, interestingly, the, the, the data says that the... The worst uh, times of year um, from a mental health perspective are actually kind of like in May and in September, because uh, May is when sort of people come out of that kind of hibernation mode and you get really kind of harsh on yourself, a kind of where am I at as everybody right. starts to get busy and active and you can see more people living their busy lives and you kind of you know feel bad about yourself. Um, and then September as kind of, you know, that, that sort of ebb in the summer is, is your demand to kind of turn into the, the active season of September for a lot of people is, uh, so these are the two critical moments, um, traditionally from a mental health perspective, um, and a public health perspective. And uh, of course this last year, I'm sure that that truism has been thrown out of the water because it's, it, there's this, you know, bigger reality of COVID, um, but it's, I, I've definitely felt it, you know, a few months to be unable, unable to surprise yourself with much. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, you know, it, it, it definitely, it definitely has, uh, has a toll. Fortunately, I have the secret, or like other people don't have the benefit of talking to you each week and seeing your sunny disposition. Exactly. That's, exactly. that's, I am that's nothing how I but get sun. I am nothing but sun. Plus, if you really need to get away from it all, just come to the United States, like Texas or Mississippi or places. We got states that are just fully open for business, man. I mean, if things here are just like, honk your door, man. It's a Amazing. wild west out here. It's a wild west out here, buddy. It would be such such a great time to be, you know, just, just studying the differences of people. <laughs> it's the same thing, but boy, has it been different. How Everywhere. you frame the differences, we can mm. say. Which, mm. uh, so leading into our topic for the month, which we're going to be talking about a topic about uh, having to do with frames and what frames let you see and what they hide and what they reveal. And this is I really... have a story. F- I have a oh. story for you. Okay. Well then uh, start with your story. I'm going to start with a story. It's a story. And then I have of, a joke for you, but you do this is kind of a joke and a story. It's a story. Mm-hmm. It's sort of, it's sort of a little, you know, it's a little vignette as they say. So there are these two monks in a monastery and one of the monks sees the other monk smoking um, while he's praying. 
And the monk is flabbergasted and kind of irritated and says, I asked the abbot if I could uh, smoke when I pray. And he looked at me and said, no, how can you do it? He said, ah, I asked the abbot if I could pray when I smoke. (laughs) (laughs) The prejudicial way of framing the question, right? Mm, That's brilliant. Yeah, right, right. But it's interesting. I love that story. A professor of mine told that story one time in class, and I thought, and it was all about the prejudicial way, the prejudicial way that things get framed. Mm. And that's a little bit what we're going to be talking about for the month, and that'll be the focus of the base camp discussion. See, and also, I mean, like, there's a, that's a story where the frame is clear when you kind of get to see both sides. Um, and then the joke I was going to tell you is sort of when the frame is not, you know, it's this... You must have heard this old joke about two fish swimming past each other in a stream. And, and one fish says to the other, oh, gee, you know, the water's nice today, isn't it? And the other fish replies, wait, what's water? <laughs> <laughs> right? right? And so, so like, the, wa- like the hardest part of, uh, so frames are so powerful and the hardest part is seeing them in the first place. Um, and, and so, it, yeah, I did feel like the time has finally come to just sort of try to try to talk squarely about one of the fundamental aspects of, of what we try to do, you know, you and me by like two different minds talking together and, and all the convening work we've been trying to do over the past couple of years, which is, um, you know, you know, fundamentally we're trying to get diverse minds together so we can free our own minds and see new possibilities. But, you know, if you want to free your mind, you first got to kind of notice your own frames. It's like noticing your own glasses, and then you can kind of take them off and and contemplate the effect of your frame on what you are seeing. And I love how we kind of came to this topic was sort of, you know, working from the other way is we thought, you know, someday in the future, and we're going to do it, we, we want to get a bunch of... Um, you know, the, the people that I know in China on a conversation with a bunch of the people that we know around the rest of the world, because it seems like, you know, for someone like me who's lived in China for a number of years, um, how I understand China is just very different from people who never been there, but I sure, I sure hear a lot about it. Um, it's kind of framed for me, uh, who China is, um, and who who people in China are, and so we thought it would just be fascinating to to you know leverage this medium. Um, it's so easy for people to virtually get together nowadays and just sort of have that conversation. And then we said, you know, the thing is, when you frame it that way as kind of East meets West, you've already kind of dictated what the conversation is going to be about, and that would be exactly not the point. And 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 so we ourselves, you know, talking about it, realize. Dude, we're making the mistake that we're trying. <laughs> we're trying to solve. I think that's especially true in in a North American context because it is. I mean, China is just covered all the time now. I mean, with with, with the kind of decline of Russian power in the world, relative decline of Russian power in the world, right? And I mean, that's um, and we're kind of still, you know, in, in the United States, we're kind of post nine eleven. It, it, where China is is gets so much ink and and so much takes up so much of the global imagination in the news, like when people are framing 
And, you know, I mean, news almost always frames things adversarially, right? So you've got to find an adversary, right? right. And so right. China is a great adversary in the news for, you know, for the in, United, in an American context, right? It, right. It's so, right. which is just, again, is, as you're saying, it's, it's just so, incredibly prejudicial. Yeah. Well, it's, it's just, it's an example of, you know, when, when all you know about something or someone, and kind of the general point is when all you know about something or someone is sort of, you know, what comes through media versus personal experience, then all you're really going to know is the, like the, the stories of consequence or that have been, you know, decided to be consequential. So, you know, if you're an American, as you are, and you're hearing about China, it, it's mainly like state to state stuff. You know, look at what China is doing um, you know, in, in, you know, cyber warfare or look at what they're doing in Xinjiang province or look at what they're doing in Hong Kong or, or, or look at what they're doing to our domestic industry. And it's really talking about that, that, that country's government and its policies. Um, it's really hard then when you meet someone there to, to, to meet them as an individual Right. Um, You know, there's so much fascinating conversation to be had about like the experience of social media and and data privacy with, you know, with individuals in China who live under a different data regime, but have a lot of the same concerns and interests as, as you and I do with 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 our data privacy. And so the question is, can you have that conversation? And the answer is sure, but we first have to kind of get past that obvious frame that we feel like, well, no, but we need to be talking about these these other issues. You know, the way that the way that sorry, I'm not explaining this very well. Maybe you can explain it better. You know, it's like what well, what we were going to do. Let's put let, let's put you know U.S. and China in a room together and talk, and they're all going to talk about what makes me Chinese and what makes you American. Right, which right, is not right, the conver- right. not the most interesting conversation to have. Right, right, right. So then we realized, though, the conversation we need to have is: so, what does the frame make you see? And can we get past? Can we maybe not get past it? That's not it. But can we be aware of it so that then we can play with it? Yeah, because I think you can. Right, or you can reframe things. Right, you can. I mean, this is one of the things. Generally, right, without a frame, art. Like if we're thinking of paintings, paintings stay rolled up and not on display, right? So you need a frame to look at them. But then you could say, I don't know, maybe this frame isn't the most helpful frame to display the picture. You know, maybe we need this kind of frame or this material, or maybe we need something that's more gold and and ornate, like a museum frame or something more plain to actually to display what we want to look at. And so that's the thing I think that inevitably, right? That's the power. Mm. We we've got to have a frame, but but we can be conscious of it, and I think that's what's hard though. Because you, I mean, how often when you go to a museum and look at paintings, do you think about the frame, mm. right? Or how only if you, you're a curator, right? The right, curator exactly. Thinks, right, and you don't or, even or realize you, how it's shaping your perception of it. These choices right, that or, have been made. Or if you walk into a friend's flat or apartment or house for dinner for a dinner party or something, and they have, you know, prints up on the wall or something, you, you don't you you look at the art, but you don't you don't think about the framing choice really very often because, I mean, that's part of the nature of frames, right? They 
they are elusive, right? They 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 are demure in some ways. They kind of the way they present themselves is not in a hey look at me, hey look at me. So you have to take. I mean, it just takes a lot of attention to detail. It takes a lot of awareness and 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 deliberate observation to look and think about a frame. I've I've got two stories for you about this. I want to share them both. The first one is just whimsical and really funny. The other is kind of trying to make a trying to impress you with a, with a good example of challenging frames. But the first one, you mentioned art gallery. So I remember here in, here in London, I went to the Tate Modern, so a modern art gallery. So, so the fun thing about a modern art gallery, is sometimes you don't know, like, is that, is that art? <laughs> and so, and so I, 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 I played a cruel joke. This is a few years ago now. And so there was a door and it was literally just a door, but I stood back from it and kind of, took a contemplative pose looking at the door. And I think there was a sign in front of it that said like entrance or something. So there, there was like a vague, if you're really, really creative, you could imagine it being somehow an artistic statement. So I, so I posed in front of this door, just pretending to appreciate it as art. And then there was a, there was a, a kind of a seating area to look at the art. And so I sat there and I just watched the other people who had seen me doing that, walk up to the same door, and, and, and appreciate it as art. <laughs> because here we are in a modern art gallery, right? That's the frame. Yeah. And so like, yeah. oh, I guess, I guess this is art. <laughs> but, but no, that was just, I was just playing with their expectations. So that's my funny story. The, the more serious one, when you talk about the power of changing frame, and I know you're, you, you like biblical stories. So uh, oh, maybe it's weeks ago now, somebody was telling me, a version of David and Goliath that I had never heard before. And it had to do with how, um, you know, originally this was framed as a contest between champions right. on the battlefield. And, and the genius of David was to see that frame and change it. So he dropped the sword, which is what he would have met Goliath with as a champion and pulled out his sling because uh, he knew that he couldn't beat Goliath soldier to soldier, but a shepherd defending his flock mm -hmm. from a wolf, that was something he knew how to do. And so he changed the frame to one that was more favorable to him. And I had never heard the story presented that way before, but it made total sense to me. And it kind of, for me, became this just wonderful example of how if you can notice the frame of kind of how you're presenting reality to yourself then you have a whole menu of, of wonderful, playful, powerful choices. Yeah. You know, I can change it. I can warp it. I can smash it. I can twist it. I can, ex I can expand it. You know, we've expanded the frame in the past. You know, when we've gotten, you know, you, you're, you know, you're quite a Democrat, but you've got some Republican friends and we put them together in a global conversation about something that is, you know, like what has the coronavirus revealed to me? All of the other people around the world, they instantly can tell that, okay, those, those, those are the Americans. <laughs> right, 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 and, right. And, and, and you find yourselves on the same side of a conversation uh, in a way that you wouldn't when it's just, you know, Republicans and Democrats in a frame. So, so we enlarge the frame. Yeah, yeah. And suddenly the distinctions that are so critical to your identity, you know, they, they recede into the background of a, of a, of a larger commonality and that's fun but all of these things only become possible when you kind of start to play with 
you know, not what not what I perceive, but but how I'm perceiving. And sometimes when it just doesn't work, like I mean, I love that David story because you know, right before the when he when they when he decides that he's going to go face Goliath, he's I'll face Goliath. Saul tries to put King Saul tries to put his battle armor on David. See, I knew you'd have more details of this story. <laughs> it's just great. And David's just like David goes, I can't move in this. Mm. He's like, I just can't do it. I'm not. It, he, he was the, he was the youngest like of of his brothers, right? It's interesting too because the the prophet Samuel is sent out to find Israel's new king in 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 David's household, and he looks at all the big strapping guys, right? David's dad is like, here's all my Jesse's dad is like, here's all my sons, and Samuel's confused. He's not here, and he's like, oh well, I have one other son. He's tending the. Um, Cheap. It's the youngest. He's kind of the run of the litter. Hmm. Sam was like, "That's the one. He's the one." Um, so the David, David's whole story is constantly reframing. I mean, it's it's and, and hmm. it's it's hmm. it's. But some of it is he realize the, the people realizing the frames don't work, um, realizing the armor doesn't work. You know, realizing you know so what at one time does the armor just not fit you? Right, the frame doesn't fit you, and it's really blocking your ability to see. But those are moments, you know. I think, and part of this is like. I think what the virtue of communities like Basecamp are, because right, creating I, I those moments for one another. Yeah, because it's hard to know what you're not seeing. Oh, it's well, it's the two fish passing each other in the river, right? Yeah. What's water? Right. Oh. Is that exactly? But, but you could imagine, you know, maybe an extension of the story. Um, for the bird flying over the water, or for the bear on the on the bank of the stream. It's obvious that there's this medium called water that the fish right, right. are swimming in. And and yeah, to your point, like when, when we get together um, as people who, you know, we, we, we all look through our own frames that aren't the same as yours. It, it, it is, I think, more likely it's easier to notice like, hey, did you know you're wearing glasses? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, 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 right. And and you know I guess there's a lot of there's a lot of this conversation going on, you know, particularly in well, yeah, all over the world around you know kind of cognitive bias and stereotypes, and that's kind of I think now the the kind of frame that we are becoming strongly aware of, socialized on that yeah, like when I look at you. I've, there are things about you that bias my perception of you, right? You, you're a white male and that tells me things, you know, at, at a, so we're, we're, we're becoming conscious of our unconscious yeah. perceptions, but, but this is so much more than that in the sense that there is a lot of, of, you know, maybe cognitive bias is now always going to be used for that, but there's like cognitive assumptions, that we are making, that we are not yet exploring. Yeah. It is the kind of assumption that when, um, yeah, when when I meet um, someone from China, I've got all these assumptions about who they are and how they think because of stuff has nothing to do with my personal experience of them, but because of the the frame that that society presents for me. Right, and that's the key, right? That the, the frame is like that your cognitive biases can't be explained just in terms of your own cognition, right? They're formed by a wider frame and story and arc. And so we can, 
we can we can do you know experimental psycho psychological you know kind of work and get at biases but we're still not getting at what frames the biases yet like we're getting we're we're seeing the we're seeing the framework operatively in individual interactions but we're still not seeing the frame yet it's you know so here's not not to terrify you but i think it's 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 probably it's so deep that it's like Every time we use a noun, we're using a frame that maybe works for us, but at some point maybe doesn't work for us anymore um, because naming things is both really helpful and also a kind of a way of determining what it is and what it isn't. So practical example, you know, whenever I work with business executives, so, you know, every, every, Every business executive of every major organization pretty much in the world now knows about cognitive bias and, and you know, how do, we, how do we bring an appreciation of our personal biases into how we work together on teams and the workforce and stuff like that. But when I talk to, let's say he's a, you know, let's say it's a pharmaceutical company and, um, you know, I asked the executive, you know, so I've looked in your latest, you know, investor presentation, you describe yourself as a pharmaceutical company. Are you like what? Do, hmm. That's a frame, right? And what does that help you to see? And what does it make it harder for you to see in the world? Because I can tell you, if you're a pharmaceutical company, um, you you are looking for um, you you are looking for disease <laughs> that you can fix with a pill, um, and that's you know that's a kind of paradigm that you have about health. Around how do we improve health? We identify and eliminate diseases. There are a lot of other people who work in 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 the domain of health who would see it completely differently. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and as we go forward into a world of you know all of these molecular sciences and technologies, is is pharmaceutical company the the best platform, the mo the most open ended way of of describing who you are as a collective of people with this pretty rare capacity to interact with the world at a molecular level is that is that the best frame for you and then and then suddenly you know you can see, kind of see the minds blowing like oh my god i don't know <laughs> but if right, it's right, not right, that right, what right, are we right, because, right. right so there's this kind of you know i think when you really start to notice some of your frames you have this sense of vertigo around whoa whoa like well you know what else could it be but if we can hang in that vertigo a bit. Yeah. I, I think the, the it's great. You and I have talked about this, I think, a little bit. I'm trying to remember if... I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast, but I think we just talked about it on the phone or something, about dissonance and cognitive dissonance and how basically, evolutionarily, we are really... Dissonance is really hard for the human mind to take, right? This is why we like hmm. frames hmm. that tie up dissonance because it doesn't – you have to – by nature, we cap off and, and, and kind of tie up dissonance. That's what we do evolutionarily because, you know, I guess as hunter-gatherer societies, dissonance isn't great, right? You've got to function. And what it takes, I think, to, to, to suspend a frame that you're using all the time – is to engage in dissonance, hmm. right? And so it, and, and part of the, I think why we need communities to do that is because it's a really hard exercise 
to 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 sit in dissonance because just snap our snap judgment reaction is to solve the dissonance right and to reframe things quickly or go back to the old frame or reframe in a tidy way and i think it, it, the value of a kind of community coming together around a question about frames it's almost like you could do it's like doing calisthenics together you you're less likely to quit yeah, when, you're, like, when you're with the boot camp team, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like yoga for the brain. It's a lot yeah. easier in a group. Yeah, I I listening to you, like yeah, that the bringing dissonance into how we grow our own knowledge. Uh, you know, there's that kind of classic typology of like there's three types of knowledge. There's what you know, there's what you don't know. And there's what you don't know that you don't know. Right, right, right. You've heard that one, right? So, yeah. so the dissonance would be to say, okay, well, let's take these one by one. There's what you know. More precisely, it's what you think you know. Maybe you don't. And then there's, there's what you don't know. Well, actually, it's what you think you don't know. Maybe you do. And then, like, within that typology, the, the, the assumption is what you're trying to do is sort of ultimately colonize that that whole circle with knowledge so that you know it all. Um, when, you know, probably the more you think you know, the harder it gets to to shrink that I don't even know that I don't know it because it gets harder and harder to see any way other than you do. So it's it's impossible actually. It there's that there's some stuff in that I don't even know that I don't know it that you cannot possibly come to know yourself. Like it requires other people to break your frame. Um because the smarter you think you are, the the less you're going to explore other ways of looking uh at the world. So just just to say like that that frame that classic typology we've heard so many times there's what you know there's what you don't know there's what you don't know that you don't know it all kind of invites you to you know what you call consonance you can kind of put it all together somehow but to take each of those pieces of the pie and challenge them like how do you know that you know that right is 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 just a completely different way of growing knowledge um, that requires other people. I had one of the best days of my life this like last November. I spent it in the Phoenix Zoo um, with a lovely couple um, and they're just great. Uh, they're, they're older than I am and both just really bright people. And we were looking at a rhinoceros, this beautiful rhinoceros. And the guy starts telling me a story about how unicorns were developed. And basically the idea of the unicorn in Europe was because people for the first time were describing what a rhinoceros was that are exploring in Africa and stuff. And it's like a horse, but it's got a horn and it's got this. And then so people started drawing unicorns (laughs) because it was, that was what they were interpreting what a rhinoceros looked like. (laughs) And talk about framing, right? You kind of fascinating. You know, so now there's this thing that we think of as a unicorn, which is a way to kind of try to frame and get a handle on these descriptions because there's no photographs, right? There's no, like they're writing letters mm. saying mm. these creatures are unbelievable. You, like, mm. <laughs> and then you, it creates unicorns. 
Huh, that's amazing. Yeah, which a brilliant example of, you know, we. it's very hard to hear originally. It's very hard to receive anything new other than, maybe it's the only way we can, other than to kind of fit it into what we already know. And we're communal creatures, right? So we're always, our frames are always constructed socially, right? So it's, you kind of can't interpret reality without social matrices that give you ways to frame things. So you just, right. I mean, it's just inevitable. And, and it's the kind of the socialization of the frame that makes them so hard to break. Like yes. You think of, you know, Europeans, you know, before they understood that there were, you know, North and South America existed, you know, their map of the world was the map of the Bible, Noah right, had right, three right, sons, right. and and you know yep. the three sons fathered you know Europeans and Africans and Asians, and that was the whole world. And so, if you're someone like Columbus, saying like, let's sail off this page to the west, and we can arrive in Asia, you know, across the ocean, like that was, of course, that was the plan because this is the whole world. I'm trying to get to Asia. I'm just going to go the other way to get there. And then when you land and you find land like great i've found a part of asia it's strange that there are no asian spices and no asian silks here but so it must be another another part of asia that people haven't you know haven't explored yet but we know it's asia because of the frame and you know it it took it took years before amerigo vespucci kind of you know he popularized the the realization that no, no, no. Columbus hadn't found Asia. He had found Europe's blind spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You cover this in your book, Age of Discovery. Uh, right. Yeah. No. Fantastic uh, book, by the it's, way. It's just such a brilliant. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for the plug. But it's just no, I love. Brilliant... I love. I, I say that sincerely. I love that book. So you're right that that you know that's that's part of what makes it hard to challenge our own frames is that they're more than my own. They're they're my they're my cultures. They're my tradition right. there are there are stories there are stories there are maps there are, there are stories so so that's the that's the challenge we've thrown down to ourselves so like knowing and why do we do it why challenge our frames i think the goliath example is a brilliant one i mean there's tremendous power and possibility in being able to take off your glasses and and put on a different a different set of lenses so you know i'm excited about that challenge this month we've given ourselves what we've got about 21 days or so we've got a global campfire coming together um, in person on March 21st. Yeah. And let's see who, who joins us with that shared intention to, you know, uh, to see what you've been missing and to help me do the same. I yeah. And wait. if you want to, if you want to join us for that global campfire, we'll look in the show notes and we'll have registration links. So you can join us in the conversation. Great. I'll see you there, Scott. Thanks. See everyone Thanks there. my friend. All right. Take it easy. Thanks for listening to the Atlas project. We'd love to hear your feedback. Drop us a line or send us a message on Facebook. If you really like what we're doing, please rate us on iTunes and write a review. It helps so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks for listening and facing the new world with us.